all our future live episodes are going to be from the Walmart parking lot theater. (laughs) Welcome to Popaholics, a show about hot takes, hotter than your mama's pancakes, where we're a couple of men bringing you the weekly upload from now until then. I don't know. Uh, That's a new one. You know what we? You know what I like about the show? Welcome to Popaholics. We experiment here. You know, we try new things. We're not we're not comfortable with the status quo here. We're so happy you've joined us for our weekly upload. Welcome to Popaholics. My name, your host, your Sherpa of the mountain of pop culture, Christian Katie, and I'm joined by my two favorite co-hosts, Chris Conkling and Brian Dupree. Of course, until they're replaced by uh, better partners in crime. But uh, right now, they're they're what I got, and they're what we're doing, what we're rolling with. How are you guys? <laughs> Brian, doing did today? you did you hear that? I didn't I, say. I, I I got my resume ready. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've decided to join us on our weekly upload for July thirteenth, twenty twenty. Welcome to your Monday. Are you getting up and going to work? Uh, probably not. You're probably still stuck at home unless you're one of our great essential workers. Thank you so much. Uh, we're hoping this is a respite from all that's going on in the world, as my mom says. Uh, and uh, we got a great show for you. We're going to go over some latest, uh, some of the latest news. Brian's got his wacky news corner. Uh, some updates on on theater situations. Uh, we're going to be diving into what we've been consuming. A lot of really cool stuff. Chris has been playing a lot of Pokemon. I played Iron Man VR, so that's going to be a cool conversation. And uh, we've been watching some Netflix and HBO Max. Then we're going to go over our weekly poll, uh, which covers this month's topic on our main episodes, which is Doctor Who. So uh, for if you're inter- if you're a fellow Whovian or whatever the hell they call themselves uh check out those main episodes because uh, we're, we're going over doctor who all this month on those episodes uh but let's jump right into it we're going to start the way we do on this show with brian's wickety wackety wobbly wibbly wacky news corner welcome back fellow papaholics so I probably don't need to tell you this, but everything got pushed back again. I'm not going to dwell on it because we're going to get back to the theater. <laughs> we just got to stop putting out these updates that things have set dates because nothing yeah. is coming out until much later or next year. I put yeah, out my hot exactly. take. I think it was last week, wasn't it? Where I basically called the theaters out and was like, we're not getting anything for the rest of the year. So I'm, I'm standing by it. I hope it's not prophetic, but I can't I can't say I'm super hopeful at this point. But I don't want it, Brian. I want to be able to go back outside, but I know, I'm just I know. <laughs> You're being you're being realistic. So some a piece of good news to hold us over in the meantime. Walmart is converting 160 of its parking lots to drive in theaters. Um, Chris, I know you already talked about it a little off mic. You're going to ask questions about this. I'm sure one of them is, are these stores going to be running at this time? How are people going to park there if <laughs> they become a movie theater? These are all very valid questions that I don't think <laughs> have been made particularly clear. Where the hell are point. you going to park with all those damn shopping carts that are out there? They have one <laughs> poor guy that goes out once every five hours to fetch like 197 uh, carts out of the parking lot. Uh, this is a very interesting thing. Uh, we have the link in the show notes to check it out. I believe this was published by CNN was our source on this. Um, logistics, who knows? 
Yeah, they haven't revealed what movies are going to be screening. Um, they're saying it's family friendly, so it's probably not going to be uh, a lot of like R-rated content. But it's from August through um, through October. They're they're planning on doing more than three hundred showings. So they're just uh, going to roll I, out their rear projection TV they got in the break room, and they're going to pop in all those five dollar DVDs that they got lying around. You're going to be watching Bad Boys too. <laughs> Hey, there are, there are some hidden gems in there. I have spent far too many hours digging in those bins. but uh, Dude, I would not touch those bins with a 50-foot pole at These this point days, in time. Yeah, it's, it's just a big, a, a it's, safer it, move. You know, you've seen it. Like the DVD bins at Walmart, they're just these giant like boxes. It's literally just a giant box. And it's just, it's like they a dump truck. They remind me of like <laughs> ball pits for adults. <laughs> But oh my, that is my filled pit, to yes. the brim with copies of of Bad Boys Two and like uh, the Mask and uh, Oceans <laughs> Oceans Twelve for some reason. Like it's the most random collection. And like a, a Oceans Twelve underappreciated sequel. I'm just throwing it out there. It's like when did this '80s comedy with Jay Leno come out? What the fuck is this doing in this five dollar bin? <laughs> Never even oh, heard it, of it. It says on it only released in five dollar Walmart bin. That's super weird. <laughs> it's <laughs> like they, they went out to, to the bin services. <laughs> they went out to the dumps where ET the video game is buried in a <laughs> landfill and just and just had a had a crane just scooping DVDs from landfills into these boxes to be shipped off to your neighborhood Walmart. Oh, my man. God. So, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys, we'll keep you listeners <laughs> notified as to how this is going to play out because I'm I'm hoping that something like this is close by. I mean, Florida is a pretty big market. I'm thinking we'll get at least a few of these. Um, so I'll definitely keep you guys in the loop on that. I, I do. I do want to, like I said, I want to push some questions out there into into the ether. Maybe some of our fellow Papaholics or loyal listeners know the answers to these questions. Will they be playing the DVD but, extras on Bad Boys 2? <laughs> That's part that's of the, question the numero uno. Uh, who's getting? Are, are they charging for these screenings? And who's getting the revenue from these screenings? Yeah, that's like we my biggest question. COVID testing in Walmart parking lots is this like? So are they do <laughs> some sort of combined uh, with your movie ticket? You get a, a COVID test, a free COVID test. So um, it's actually in combination with Tribeca Enterprises, which is apparently um, partially backed by Robert De Niro. So, yeah, they're working with a, a production studio to, okay. to push this out. Yeah, because I would have some issue with or I would take issue with Walmart collecting uh, more revenue than they already collect and taking advantage of the situation when like standard movie theaters are struggling to stay afloat. And Walmart's like, we got parking lots and space for cars. Jimmy, bring out the bring out the screen. <laughs> and they just sold Voodoo to Fandango. So they're st- they're trying to dip dip back into the, the market a little bit. Maybe. I'm glad Tribeca's hosting this so we all can watch The Righteous Kill again. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> They've been asking. It said, release the De Niro cut. <laughs> release it and, fill- <laughs> and debut it in a Walmart parking lot. Release the Righteous cut. Yes, uh, we'll make this happen. <laughs> so um, a couple other of new movies that are coming out this week, the first of which is uh, a movie that in the festival scene got a lot of attention last year. Brian, it's can you please Painted Bird? Can you please compare all these movies you're going to announce to Fire Saga and guess whether or not it will <laughs> be better than Chris's current 2020 favorite best movie of 2020, The Story of Fire Saga Eurovision Song Contest? Well, we know how Chris is going to feel about it, but this movie is very different than that. So um, different. They're like, 
It, this yeah, is like nearly, the antithesis. The exact opposite, <laughs> possibly. <Yeah. laughs> um, this, the, the summary of this movie is a young Jewish boy somewhere in Eastern Europe seeks refuge during World War II, where he encounters many different characters. Um, and his only hope that, of re, re, his only hope of finding peace is to enter the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only thing he's living for. And uh, no, but um, this is based off of a pretty controversial book from the 50s uh, of the same name. And the director, Vaclav Marl, he actually created a language that's called an inter-Slavic language so that um, these characters would not be able to, you wouldn't be able to pinpoint what country he was talking about to make it kind of more global, universal in what's being discussed here. Uh, this is a movie that is very graphic in its interpretations of violence, um, obviously set during World War II. Um, people people had apparently been walking out of this movie in some of the screenings. So very intense. Wow. Um, yeah, on that level. There's, there's some interesting interviews out there with some of the actors about it. Um, but yeah, um, this is something that it's not an easy watch, but unfortunately, you know, this sort of stuff and, you know... Uh, there's a, there's a decent amount of pretty famous and well done movies about the Holocaust. I think this seems like a, a take that hasn't really been explored as much, very much on the ground and dealing with not necessarily the power structure, but the average person in, in the oppression that they, um, they also bring into the world. So yeah, not an easy one, but that's the painted bird that'll, that'll be available on streaming. And if some theaters are open, maybe a, maybe a limited theatrical release for that. Um, oh, hold on. I have some of. I have a, a piece of dialogue from the Inner Slavic language. Who wants oh, to no. hear a Eurovision song? Wow. Play inspired. So inspired. I, I do have to say, on a, on a more serious note, though, uh, just from the trailer, this movie looks like it's going to be really good, but uh, emotionally destroying. Taxing. Like, yeah, you're going to. Walk out of this movie uh, completely exhausted, probably. If you don't end up turning it off in the middle, according to Brian. Right, or walking out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, or walking out if it's in a theater. That's exactly how I felt when I watched Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> the story of Fire Saga. It's so never going to go away. A, a little lighter of a movie that's also coming out this Friday is The Sunlit Night. So this See, movie stars. By the way, this seems like an alternate title to The Painted Bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> the Spot Painted on. Bird and The Sunlit Night. Oh, no. So this one, it stars Jenny Slate, Alex Sharp, and Zach Galifianakis. Um, and the summary is, an aspiring painter meets eccentric locals and a fellow New Yorker while working on a barn in Norway. Um, this movie and the looks only like way they a, can open the barn is if they enter the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> That's why she's painting the barn is to make the money to get into the contest. Right, right, you know, right. this is the the beginning of an obvious sequel uh, series. Um, so yeah, this is. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. This, this movie seems like a um, you know. Like a, a dramedy, basically something that's going to be an uplifting story of growth, mentors, and Zach Galifianakis doing what he does. Um, I, I really enjoyed the trailer. This is one I, I plan on checking out. And um, yeah, um, Jenny Slate is someone who I'd seen 
largely, I want to say on the Kroll show, I think she was um, one of the one of the actors that was was a con- frequent contributor on Kroll show. So I'm interested to see her um, in a in something more dramatic. Yeah, I I too haven't seen Jenny Slate in many dramatic roles. Like I'm mostly familiar with her work from her days on SNL as well as like. Uh, John Ralphio's sister in Parks and Recreation. Oh, that's right. Um, but when I, when I was watching this trailer, one of the things that I was thinking about was one of the upsides to the type of media that we're experiencing this year is because the theaters have been closed and because studios can't release their giant blockbusters to recoup, you know, these millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for making them. Indie films really are experiencing an uprising this year. And because people are so starving for content, I I do appreciate that. That, like, so far, I've seen way more movies this year and plan on watching way more movies this year than I would have, uh, like, if big blockbusters were coming out in the theaters. So, like, The Sunlit Night, I do want to see. I'm excited to watch Palm Springs. uh, For listeners, we're recording this a day before Palm Springs comes out on Hulu. But like these are movies I would have skipped in theaters, but because we're so starving for media, um, it, it's a good time for indie flicks, especially like VOD flicks. Chris, what's your favorite indie film of 2020? Uh, I don't currently have one because I wouldn't classify uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, an indie film, Christian. Okay, <laughs> just checking. What would you consider that? I mean, what are Netflix movies? I can't like. They're not. It's not a blockbuster. Netflix doesn't do. No, does they, Netflix they, release they're, they're, blockbusters? They're now, like, well, they do. I mean, um, it, uh, they have big actions. I was going to say know, evacuation, um, but uh, that's no. What is it called? Extraction. 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 Yeah, extraction. Yeah. And uh, the Michael Bay flick. They, they release some in bright. They have some like multi hundred million dollar movies, True. but uh, a lot of what they film is in the twenty to like sixty million dollar. It's like a sweet spot yeah. for them. But they have released blockbusters. I mean, they re- Irishman was over 100 million. So they've released several, at this point, over, I think, seven films with over $100 million of budget. So speaking of streaming services, Christian, that's called the transition. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We've got the thing we none of us need or want. But Peacock, the Another NBC streaming, streaming service, <laughs> is coming out this Wednesday, and they've got a um, decent sweep of shows that uh, they have to kick off the kick off the service. Uh, I'm going to br- really briefly run through all three of these, and then we can talk about Peacock. Uh, one of them is a series based off of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, which is uh, something I had to read in high school and need to come back to. I've read other stuff by Huxley since then in college. And, and after, but um, definitely so much to dive into uh, where we are societally and technology uh, with technology and pharmaceuticals and the, the way life is and how much um, that book had to say about where he saw things were going. Uh, the Capture is a drama that is described as while disentangling misinformation from truth in an era of deep fakes, alternative facts, and ubiquitous surveillance, an investigation of damning video evidence, evidence calls into question whether seeing is deceiving. So kind of seems very of the moment. Um, it kind of interested in that one. It's got a couple of big names attached. Ron Perlman, Fomka Jansen. Um, that caught my attention. Aside from that, we've got, and this is a show I never deep dived into, but I've seen a bunch of random episodes they are making a psych movie 
called yeah. Psych 2, Lassie Comes Home. That um, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to get this service right now. I, I don't pay for cable and I don't plan to start here. Um, I think they've got a $30 for a year deal running right now for those of you who, who are interested in this stuff. But um, how do you guys feel about Peacock? I, 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 I can't. I can't take another streaming service. Like, it's too much. Uh, my I, wife much. is a big fan of Psych. Um, and over the last couple of years, we've kind of been gradually watching the whole series. Um, so I know she would probably enjoy that movie. But uh, I, this is literally like the worst case scenario uh, for streaming. When, when, this, when streaming experienced its inception, you know, in like what, 2010, 20, 2012, something, when it really like, when we really hit the streaming boom. Uh, and people were starting to cut the cord. This is literally what we're living in right now, the worst case scenario, where now every network is releasing their own streaming services to make as much money as they possibly can instead of like pooling their resources so we have fewer streaming services and we're paying less. It's but, like all these corporations want to make money. I know, it's so ridiculous you know, how capitalism works. But I, I can't. Like, if anything, I would probably sign up for CBS All Access first as another streaming service just to watch the Twilight Zone and Star Trek Discovery and a lot of the content that they already have. But this is this is down on my my priority list. Uh, first point, uh, there's a really great podcast called Land of the Giants from The Verge. And currently this season, they're covering Netflix. Uh, they call it the Netflix Effect. Highly recommend that. It shows kind of this transition into our streaming culture. And yes, they, they, there's a lot of really great discussions that happen on that platform and that, uh, you know, I've been having with other people about, you know, how, how Netflix and, and uh, tr- put us in this age of streaming. They got all these rights because people are like streaming. Who gives a shit? No one's watching stuff online. And that gave us this really bright peak of value you got. And now as it stands, Netflix has half the titles that they had you know, eight years ago, um, because mm-hmm. uh, companies are upping the value of those rights and keeping them for themselves. And yeah, it has distributed to like, we, we, we cut the cord so we didn't have to pay an exorbitant cable fee and get, you know, what content we wanted on demand or, or, or subscribe to a streaming service or, or two at the time. And now it is, it, is, it is worse than cable. It's like $5 here, $10 here, $15 here. Um, and I think, I think it'll all work itself out in the wash. You know, at, to Peacock coming out, it does have one ace up its sleeve. And that is that at the end of this year, they get The Office back. And The Office is one of the most streamed oh. pieces of content on Netflix. That is true. Uh, That's huge. That's yeah. huge. My girlfriend puts it on every night before she goes to bed. It's like her white noise machine, uh, <laughs> which was the alternate title for The Office. <laughs> white noise machine. Uh, but, uh, you know, so so they do have that going for them. But I do think... You know, to be running these servers with this content, um, you're hoping that they're just not getting a whole lot of value uh, from the return uh, of of put, putting up having to host their own servers and have this separate thing, um, or or like we see now, it'll be bundled in with your Comcast deal, you know, or your or your or your carrier. So you'll end up getting right. You know, three or five of these services free of charge for a certain amount of time. So we'll see yeah. how it shakes out. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's only so much money and time people have. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned that they will be able to survive keeping good content away from lots of people. That, that, that typically hasn't been a problem uh, for, for our media consumption. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of, a lot of good points there. 
So we've got another video game coming out this week. Uh, I was talking to the guys off off mic before the episode here. You didn't talk and, to me. Well, Christian was having some technical difficulties deep behind the pod here. And I was just talking about how the Nintendo Switch has enough games that I'm really interested in now to the point of making me want to get something. And I was telling Chris that I'm trying to hold off until Christmas to, to treat myself. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll see. I'll let the loyal listeners know how that, how that journey is going. But Paper Mario, the Origami King is coming out this Friday. Um, I played the original Paper Mario on N64 and loved that game. Uh, I also played the GameCube version, the Thousand Year Door. Um, it's my understanding that this game is slightly different than the original couple in that the, it doesn't have experience points in that are, um, that rack up in the same way. Um, some people online are, are, citing that as a negative. Uh, so I'm not sure how the gameplay is going to be affected by that. But um, yeah, Paper Mario, uh, I've, I've loved it from a young age. I have some nostalgic connection, and this one piqued my interest. Yeah, Paper Mario is definitely one of those like beloved uh, alternative Mario franchises. You know, I myself have never really uh, played or dove into any of the Paper Mario games, but I know that my wife has. She played the one on the Wii. Um, and I've seen all the trailers for this game, and it looks fun. It, lo- it it looks like a fun Paper Mario adventure. Yeah, never been particularly interested in uh, the Nintendo RPGs or like that big since I was a kid. Since I since I distanced myself from my N sixty four, really, it takes a lot for me to get into a Nintendo title. You know, I think the last big one I played was Breath of the Wild. Before that was probably another Zelda. And uh, yeah, I like my RPGs like I like my liquor hard uh so so the like like and it works for people and like brian you're the perfect person i'd recommend like a paper mario style rpg to like it it's yeah exactly you know it's a little more cat i mean it's casual and the mechanics they always put into these games are strong they're just not particularly dense or, or interesting for someone who plays 100 rpgs a year like i do like so, I mean, that's what you're judging it against, right? And they, they come out with a refined version that's like, I probably could have just played that a couple of years ago and, and been good with it. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I play, fa- like, for, for listeners, if you don't know, I play things like Divinity, Original Sin, uh, you know, an isometric, insanely dense D&D clone. Like, that's, that's my, my fun. I've played World of Warcraft. Um, I've played a ton of uh, RPGs and action RPGs. So, so I'm not the best market for this. But uh, this is a great starting for people who aren't, familiar with rpgs really love the mario brand already have a switch um i think they're doing some really cool stuff i looked into it they have some interesting mechanics uh again not insanely deep or that interesting to me but uh, i can see how they'd be fun yes that's paper mario the origami king that'll be out this friday on the switch last piece of news jesus christ brian i know i know it's a hefty (laughs) one this week it's let him have his moment (laughs) i have to get it out this is for the people um Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Uh, Audible is creating or has created a season of this show that adapts at least a few of the graphic novels. I'm I'm not certain. I think I read some there somewhere. It was the first three, approximately. But um, don't quote me on that. But there is a trailer out that has listed James McAvoy as Morpheus, who is the main character of this story, the embodiment and literalization of the dream world on some level. Um, we also have Kat Dennings, Riz Ahmed, Taryn Edgerton, Neil Gaiman himself, Samantha Morton, Babe Newworth, Andy Circus, and Michael Sheen. So, uh, this is a great cast. Yeah. This is a great cast. There, yes. I'm um, very excited. 
and you know the storytelling is there. So they've got so much to work with here. Sandman is something that I, I tend to forget. It starts off as like a horror comic almost in a way that it, it gets much more high fantasy as you as you go. But um, I am so excited to, to hear this. I know they've been trying to get the TV development off the ground forever, and it just hasn't happened. Um, so I'm glad that something is coming out of it, you know? And this is an Audible exclusive, right? Yes, I believe so, yep. Certainly would be very expensive uh, to make. We we actually covered uh, Sandman Overture in one of our special Beers with Bros. Remember when we could hang out, be together? I actually think, was this the first Beers with Bros? It might have been, but we got really drunk and talked about Sandman Overture, and it was a lot of fun. That, to this day, is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, with uh, I believe Marcus was on Marcus. Marcus yes, was Marcus our special yelling guest. at the the listeners to look at the page that he had open in front of us. Look at the page. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. The Father what'd Time you, stuff. What'd you, what'd you think, Marcus? About what? <laughs> <laughs> the, art. the art. What do you think about the art? The art is amazing. Just All right, Brian, what do you really think of the art? Just look at it. Just look at it. <laughs> Brian, go you know, to the goddamn bookstore. Look up the, and look at the, it. The copy that I have, it says, the art is amazing. Just look at it. <laughs> George Lucas. <laughs> That guy knows what he's talking about. He wrote episode one, Phantom Menace. <laughs> Talked about phallic imagery. Uh, so I have a lot of fond memories of Sandman. I really enjoyed that graphic novel. As someone who doesn't dive deep into a lot of graphic novels, that was enjoyable. Uh, like Audible, like, this is the only thing. Audio uh, fiction has just not ever been my bag. So uh, th- this is something that makes me want to try it. But I have tried a bunch of great stuff. Uh, audio fiction i can do audio biographies audio historical audio you know like just research papers but for some reason the fiction is i i can't quite i i think there's a level of i want to be immersed in fiction more so that's why i really like you know really dense video games and and movies with like really great cinematography uh to where audio just always been a barrier but i'm excited to try it um uh, i have billions of audible credits so it won't be wasted. I Perfect. might as well get yes. this. So I'm going to dive into that. So uh, thanks for bringing that up, Brian. I, th- I think that should be uh, an interesting, uh, interesting look. The star yeah, power is no there. problem. Exactly. The star power is definitely there. The story is incredible. And there's 10 volumes of it to, to explore way more than enough, as well as, you know, extended universe stuff outside of that. So that's the Sandman from Audible that'll be out uh, this Wednesday, the 15th. And finally, guys, that's it for the news. Brian, thank you so much. Great news segment there. Uh, we are going to be moving on into our quick hits. But before we do that, I do want to let the listeners know that you can email us your feedback at popboxcast@gmail.com. Do you have some wonderful news you want to share with us that's late and breaking, maybe under the radar? You don't feel like a lot of people are talking about it. We want to be your voice in these times. So email us at popaholicscast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also, um, you can support some of our creative endeavors on the side. Currently, uh, I had just released a project called Water.jpg. Uh, that is from my musical project, Midnight Satire. That is streaming on Apple Music and Spotify. So go check it out. It is some ambient instrumental stuff uh, that uh, you may want to put on while you're uh, studying or uh, doing some work from home. Uh, that would be really wonderful. You can buy it directly at midnightsatire.bandcamp.com or you can just stream it. Uh, that helps out uh, me in particular. Uh, and we got some cool, exciting stuff coming up very soon. 
uh, from me and Brian that we'll announce uh, very, very shortly. Ooh. That's right. Uh, but let's move on. Let's let's keep it pop culture cent- uh, centric. Eno- enough with the plugs. People are, only, people are like, we get it, Christian. You're a musician. That's great. Uh, let's move on into what we've been consuming with our quick hits. <laughs> Quick hits. Keep it quick. That theme brought to you by the same mind behind Water.jpg, streaming now on Apple <laughs> Music and Spotify. That's right. I do all the jingles for the show. It's real fun. All right. So Quick Hits is that time in the show where we come together to talk about what we've been consuming. We've got a lot of, of exciting stuff on the docket. Chris, we're going to start with you. Uh, you are going to talk to us more about the story of Fire Saga, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You've been playing... Pokemon Best movie of the year. <laughs> You've been playing Pokemon competitively, which which is very interesting. You're not typically a multiplayer competitive type of Excuse guy. Me, Christian, this is Mr. 36,000 in the world right now. Okay? Jesus. Don't acknowledge this man. <laughs> Respect his name. <laughs> it does, you know, it shows your dedication to the the IP of Pokemon because, you know, I, I come from a family of lots of brothers. We're very, very competitive. Right. And, and Brian comes from a sports. He played a lot of sports in high school. You know, he's very competitive. You're a, a, a single child over there. And uh, your parents are wonderful, child. nice people. But you're uh, not a single child. <laughs> you're married uh, <laughs> and an only child. Um, but like I, something that's been interesting, the dynamic between us is that you're very not competitive. You're kind of like right. laissez faire about it. So I'm so excited when I saw this, I was going nuts. Tell us about your experience playing some competitive Pokemon. Yeah, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about the Pokemon Sword and Shield Isle of Armor DLC that came out recently. And one of the things that I've kind of glossed over and neglected to mention um, about both the DLC and I, I don't even think that I really touched on it too much when I uh, spoke about Sword and Shield when it originally came out, but how much Game Freak is currently catering with this generation to the competitive fans. They've added a ton of fantastic quality of life features into the game to make it much easier for someone like me who has been, uh, who's like watched competitive Pokemon for a long time, but never really dabbled in it himself um, to actually starting to uh, get into it and, and have a lot of fun with it. Um, for those for those listening right now that are like competitive Pokemon, how could that even possibly be a thing? Uh, isn't it just rock, paper, scissors? Uh, I know Christian has shared that opinion for a very long time. Um, originally, I, I would have agreed with you, but over the course of the last eight generations of this game, they've actually added a lot of deep intricacies to the mechanics of how each individual Pokemon functions. And what I mean by that is um, in earlier games, there there's a mechanic in the game called EV, which stands for effort value, and IV, which stands... It's a terrible name. That is the name of a Pokemon. All right. <laughs> yeah. It, and IV, which stands for individual value. And uh, I would say in the older generations, when competitive Pokemon was first starting to become a thing... These numeric values for each individual character were basically hidden numbers. So for someone to actually develop a competitive Pokemon team, 
they would have to spend hours and hours breeding Pokemon to make sure that they got a specific Pokemon with the best individual values possible. An individual value basically dictates uh, how strong a specific stat for that Pokemon can be. That's why seemingly... In, in the first generation of Pokemon, actually, I don't even know if, if Eevee, or Eevees and Ivies were that involved in the first generation, but that's why seemingly Game Freak is like, all Pokemon are different, like they're all unique, right? It kind of adds to the lore of it, but in reality, if you know what you're doing when it comes to Ivy and Eevee training for specific monsters, someone could have identical Pokemon just based on the way that you have uh, leveled it up and basically taking advantage of those mechanics to make sure uh, any one Pokemon is, is as strong as possible. And I'm kind of glossing over it as much as I can. I don't want to get into like the nitty gritty of it. But combined with individual values and effort values, you also have the typing of a Pokemon, the nature of a Pokemon, the ability that it has, along with hidden possible hidden abilities, and then items that you attach to it. So through like the combination of all these different things, you craft a monster that could potentially be used in a competitive format. And what uh, what Game Freak has done with Sword and Shield is they've created a lot of NPCs that will basically like wipe your EV slate clean, allowing you to really dictate what stats you're making better than others. Uh, in this new DLC, they've added a vending machine that allows you to buy uh, vitamins, which help you improve EVs for Pokemon at a much cheaper cost than they used to be originally. Um, there is a, a move tutor that allows you to relearn any move that a Pokemon has learned in its history for free. In the past, you had to give items for this particular thing. So overall, like now is the best time to enter competitive Pokemon if you've ever been interested in it because Game Freak has made it so easy and show, so cheap within like the internal games economy to to do this type of thing if if all that rambling makes any sense yeah um no, so yeah to to uh to battle competitively in pokemon right now you basically have to work your way up through 10 different tiers or 10 different levels it the tiers are uh pokeball tier great ball tier ultra ball tier and master ball tier and once you've battled enough people and you have gained enough experience to reach Master Ball tier, then the only thing that changes is your global rank over the course of the world. So over the last week, I have battled. Let me I have some stats here. <laughs> I have battled uh, 50 people over the last week. I made it all the way to Master Ball Max tier. Uh, and out of those 50 battles, I have won. 28 of them so not i mean not like a it's like an average record but i was able to make my way all the way up and my current global standing is like number thirty six thousand seven hundred and and something so not not very good by any means but like it's been a lot of fun getting more into the mechanics of the game that i've played casually for so long um it's a blast so if if you have ever watched competitive pokemon and you're like I think I might be interested in trying that. And you've beaten, if you've done everything else in Pokemon Sword and Shield, I highly recommend getting into into the competitive scene. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's basically like playing chess, to be perfectly honest. Because once you learn like how specific people counter 
other Pokemon with different moves or, or different abilities and stuff like that. You really are trying to read the field and read your opponent as to what they're going to do next and how you're going to respond to that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's been a blast. I, I Christian and I have had this conversation many times where he's like, that game is so fucking boring and it's just rock, paper, scissors, but like, not anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the most frustrating part about competitive Pokemon would be like, you put down a fire Pokemon, someone puts down a water Pokemon, you retract uh, your fire Pokemon for an electric Pokemon to defeat the water Pokemon. That person then changes his electric Pokemon for a rock Pokemon and you sit there rotating characters until the end of time. And so I, I played competitive on um, uh, one of the versions a, a couple times ago where it, it did some stuff to alleviate that problem specifically. Um, but as far as like the density and layering, and like what's, what's the difference? Between, like, Chris, this is my question. How much of the mm-hmm. game is prep work versus in-game decision making? Well, thankfully, because of all the new quality of life mechanics, prep work doesn't really take too long well it depends on on what your your version of too long is i guess so like i could probably create a competitive worthy pokemon a viable competitive pokemon in half a day if i if i dedicated a lot of time to it just leveling it up to 100 making sure that its uh ivs were trained properly it had the right evs it had the right moveset items shit like that um and then, and then the rest is just enjoying the actual competitive side of it. You talk about typing a lot. And yeah, typing is still super important, especially with like double battles. But there are a lot of workarounds to uh, actually beat Pokemon that you sometimes have a disadvantage against, uh, at, at least now, which is a lot of fun. It's not as boring anymore now that it's not just that that rock, paper, scissors, you know. Good. I mean, that's the that's the biggest challenge that that the style of gameplay that Pokemon is has to overcome to be viably competitively. And then right. it's not just like one set of Pokemon is the ultimate defect. Like, uh, you know, oftentimes competitive play with, with games that have this many variables, oftentimes the, the meta presents itself really early and, it, and, and, and often hits a climax of like, well, if you want to win, you need to have a Mewtwo, a Charizard, you know, with this item. And unless if you have that, then you right. all, you, then you wipe the floor with everybody and then just make, and right. then the actual play in the game is, is, is less interesting. Uh, so that would be my fear. That's the fear for a lot of like turn-based type of type of stuff competitively, but I'm glad you're having fun with it, Chris. And I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm very excited that you're getting, you're sitting up, you're getting that feeling that like worried feeling when you play competitive stuff of like, dude, every <gasps> time, dude, I feel like, a, uh, yeah, and it's like, I a good started feeling. out, I started out, uh, testing the waters. They have a, a casual play feature where, uh, the battles don't count. So if you lose, it doesn't go against your like global score or anything like that. So I basically spent a couple of days doing that just to get the feel of it being like, okay, I think my team is like a viable team. I think I could take this into the, the ranked, uh, feature of the game and do pretty well. Once you get into ranked and, and you win several battles in a row, that first loss is devastating. Cause you're like, Oh fuck like i i've lost points i've gone backwards like it really does create that tension um because everything counts every move counts uh with i mean it, it makes it it makes it worth it right yeah no it's cool awesome so that's pokemon sword and shield chris is saying go online and play some competitive it's lots of fun coming from a guy who doesn't do a lot of competitive stuff so that's uh that's really great um catch it 
Brian, uh, we had talked about this a few episodes ago. I think about a month ago, uh, I had mentioned that I had watched Shazam on HBO Max. You got a chance to check it out. What'd you think? Yeah, I finally got my HBO Max uh, subscription going, and I loved this movie, guys. This is definitely, uh, on first watch, one of my favorite DC movies um, on on first viewing. I had so much fun with this. Um, our, our lead, who's played by Asher Angel and then eventually by Zachary Levi, um, I think both of them do a great job. Eventually, it's largely Levi on screen. Um, but his dynamic with Jack Dylan Grazer, his, his um, um, foster brother uh, in the family that he's been moved into, allows for such great comedy. And it's, it's very much a kid's movie on some level, but I was watching it and thought it because of how dark it was, I assumed it was rated R. And it's it's PG-13, but it's a very, very dark PG-13 movie. Um, I love the lore. Um, the whole, we don't get a super deep dive into the history of where these powers come from, but there's enough there and some villains that are well-established with a little bit of cool backstory there that it immediately grabbed me and I probably should have seen where it was going at the end a little more than I did, but uh, <laughs> I was I was happy with the the turn at the end that um, yeah I didn't really see see coming particularly. Um, I don't know, um, Chris. I don't I don't know if you had seen this one. I can't remember when we talked about it. Um, I did. I, I, don't wanna... I saw it in theaters. Okay, so I'm I'm very late to the game on this. I know this movie uh, was largely critically received well, and I think if you haven't seen this and you have HBO Max definitely check it out because i think this is um top tier dc in my experience yeah yeah this movie's a blast most importantly it is fun like it's a fun movie which is rare you know dc tries to to tackle some deep brooding emotion sometimes to uh greater and lesser effects uh and this movie's just a ton of fun right and uh i think i had mentioned on the podcast it is kind of one of these early glimpses at post superhero superhero movies there's a lot of self-referential aspects of it to the way that these movies usually play out so all that's really fun yeah that's a good time zachary levi does such a great job of like embodying a child in a man's body uh he's a perfect casting choice and i love that you're you were talking about how you thought the movie could have been rated r and that makes sense because uh david f sandberg uh directed it and he's directed like horror movies, I think mostly in his past. So like when you see all the scenes with the seven okay. deadly sins, those are some of the scariest scenes in the film. Cause I think he really takes advantage of, of his, his background uh, in those moments. But yeah, yeah. It's, this movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's Shazam on HBO max. I really enjoyed that. And I know I'm late to the party, so I apologize for, uh, having our fellow pop no, i think a lot hear, of people it wasn't about it all the time that big of a hit so it's good that we bring it up again because I, I think a lot of people slept on it a lot of people just got a free upgrade to hbo max or, or, or discovered that they have hbo max because the rollout of that was kind of silly uh and it is available there brian you've also been watching american horror story uh is that am i pronouncing that right yeah american horror story apocalypse um oh, horror horror story sorry oh i did uh, apocalypse uh, on, <laughs> right on over na- my head on american n- horror story <laughs> it's a very sexual show i'll admit yeah um, the story of your mother <laughs> all right wow. uh, you, good mom you know my mother you, i know she's is, wonderful both your moms are like the bad. nicest people in the world <laughs> i'm ashamed of myself um i repent Christian was really saying the story of your mother, fellow Papa. Yeah, fe- yeah, fellow Papa. I was, I was talking about your mom. 
We don't even know your mom, most likely. Brian, tell us about American Horror Story Apocalypse for all the listeners that just left our show. Yeah. No one calls my... I want to know the guy. I really, dude, if you had this experience where it's like, no one calls my mom a whore and like just like ripped out your headphones, (laughs) you're my hero. Email us at popaholicscast at gmail.com. All right, on to the topic. Uh, you know that loyal listener would not have heard you say that because right, they would have already ripped back, their headphones he'll, he'll out. Calm down in the morning. <laughs> listen, <to> it. <laughs> yeah, listen to it again. All right, all right. He's probably kidding. I know that Chris is funny. <laughs> we trust him. We trust him. I'm going to so, listen yeah. to some Water JPEG to chill out. <laughs> Courtesy of Sorry, Midnight Brian. Satire, available on Spotify. The plugs do not stop. <laughs> Amazon Music, Google Music. I think it's on TikTok too. I don't know. My distributor is like you're on everything now, so. Uh, if you have a TikTok, before it gets shut down, pop on some uh, water.jpg. All right, Brian, uh, we were doing a show here. You want to move it along? Yeah, so for those of you that are unfamiliar, American Horror Story is a show created by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. Um, it, they've done nine seasons at this point. Uh, seasons one through eight are currently on Netflix right now, which is where I watched this. Uh, I have seen a handful of the seasons. I think, let's see, I think this was the sixth. Um, season that I've watched, so there's a handful that I haven't watched. No one's going to fact check you, partially. Um, <laughs> on your personal consumption of American Horror Story. <laughs> I hope not. Netflix is going to call me out. Like, we know what you've seen. Yeah, we- <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one in particular is called Apocalypse. The this is an anthology show where every season theoretically is a completely new story with totally new characters. Um, this season actually is a combination of characters from the first season and the third season. There's someone um, who we're introduced to at the very end of season one who becomes a main character in, in this plot line. This is the type of show that you either love it or you hate it. It's very gory, which loyal listeners will know that I am not a particular, particularly big fan of gore. This show makes it worthwhile. It's, it's sometimes gratuitous but there's a level of camp and silliness to the show that keeps me um i don't know i still freak out while watching it let's let's not (laughs) let's not lie to myself but um it it is just so well done and every season um really dives in it's hard to because this story is literally about um there's a nuclear apocalypse who survives and what is society like now um in essence but it's hopping back and forth pre-apocalypse post-apocalypse like I said, there's two seasons worth of content that you pretty much have to see before watching this season. So it's definitely not a good starting point for American Horror Story um, fans, but or for new American Horror Story fans. But I loved this season. Uh, when they bring these huge narratives together, this show really is some of the best at grounding supernatural horror in very real circumstances. And in doing so, there, there's a Silicon Valley thread in this season, for example. Um, Satanism, the Antichrist, um, obviously nuclear war, right? There's so much stuff, so much character things happening that every season, even if you can describe it in one tagline, is uh, much more than, than the description. So it's something that I've always loved about this show. They always bring perspective to these supernatural things and to human humanity in general and, and how we treat each other, how society is um, on some, some deep level. So yeah, uh, this is a show that it's not a bad idea to just start from the beginning. Uh, like I said, very, very 
graphically violent, very sexual, um, and very campy at times, very silly. So if you watch an episode or two and you're not in for it, just put it down because it's probably not for you. But for those of you who do end up liking this, there is so much content to, to be enjoyed here. Very cool. I've seen the first uh, season, I think, and I tried to watch the second season. Uh, that first season, the the one that takes place in the asylum, is that the... That's actually season two. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I've seen season two, and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but didn't ever get into the rest of them. That's the kind of the, the issue with anthology stuff, you know, besides Fargo, which is just promising me, like, amazing Cohen TV, you know, right, Cohen Brothers-style right. TV. Um, it's hard for the anthology stuff because you just don't have any like commitment to care. You get back into a new season, you're like, I don't know any of these characters, and it has to re-earn your trust. Um, I will say, to that point, Christian, the show has a visual language that yeah. is very consistent. Sure. You know, you, you, you know exactly. Uh, yeah, so there is some consistency there. And like I mentioned briefly, a lot of times, even if they're playing different characters, you have the same actors. So it's it's kind of a very cool thing to see how some people will play multiple characters in a in a particular season, for example, right? Um, and in in this season, it's uh, in Apocalypse. It's funny because they they kind of end up having to kill people off to have their new character <laughs> come into the narrative later and things like that. So without too much spoilers, it's it's kind of a lot of fun to see how they they play with their characters. That's fun. That's American Horror Story Apocalypse streaming on the Netflix. Check it out. All right, quickly through mine. Um, we had talked about it in news a couple weeks ago. I actually have a Let's Play stream um, uh, available to watch that I'll link in the show notes. I played some Iron Man VR. And you guys actually joined in on the stream, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was super cool playing a game with you guys watching and, and commenting. Uh, before I start on my thoughts, I, I, I'm almost certain that you guys got the gist of what the game has to offer. There, there's some point that I do have to share my perspective from it. Uh, but what do you guys think watching the game? This is the new Marvel game available for PlayStation VR. It is an Iron Man game where you step into the suit in virtual reality and play as Iron Man. What were your thoughts watching it on a 2D stream? You know, I, I feel like it's tough to give a... Um, uh, it's hard to give a ju- like a, a justifiable opinion on the game without av- actually having the goggles on, you know, without actually having the VR headset on because we're just third party ob- observers. You're actually experiencing being Iron Man. Um, this is a this is a game that we talked about a couple weeks ago and all of us seem to be pretty hyped about it, myself included. Uh, dude, it's ver- it's VR Iron Man. Like I, I would love to experience the game myself. I think you really do have to experience, like I said, to get the the full value out of the game. It still has a lot of the problems that I have with VR. Like during our Let's Play, I was talking about how I wish uh, they could do a better job of like eliminating clipping. You know, like if if you're embodying Tony Stark uh, and his hands are reaching out to touch an Iron Man helmet, you don't want his hands to go into the Iron Man helmet, you know? Or at one point, Christian was really, like, manipulating the hands, and it looked like Tony had two totally mangled wrists, like, pointing in, in different directions. Absolutely hilarious content, but, like, those are just kind of the things that you wish these companies could polish a little bit more um, for for a VR game. And and I know it's, like, it's newer technology. Not everyone has it in their households. Uh Christian has talked about uh, what Half-Life Alex, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to be like the pinnacle 
of of VR gaming right now. A lot of the qualms that I have with Iron Man VR, Christian has said that uh, they don't really exist in that game. But uh, I, I just wish that development could be a little more uniform when they are releasing uh, big name titles like an Iron Man game. That should be something they spend time on. But but other than that, it was a lot of fun to watch Christian play it. Like I bet it was a blast feeling as though you're in the Iron Man suit and firing off repulsor blasts and flying around. Like that's all super cool. But that, that was just my opinion of, of watching you play it. Brian, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, firstly, I want to apologize for getting like a minute behind on the stream and then probably looking <laughs> like a total idiot in the comments being like, why are my comments taking so long to show up for Christian <laughs> when it was because I was uh, behind on the stream. But I, yeah, every time we do this, I, I'm like, why aren't we doing this more often? I, I had so much fun, um, just the interactive, just, you know, being able to basically shit talk while, while you're playing Christian is great. I think at least, and this is probably because it was on the front end of the game, I thought there was a bit too much plot. I was like, let's get back in the suit multiple times. It was kind of dragging through the story a little bit. Um, maybe being immersed in it, that, that would be a little easier to deal with. Um, I imagine it would. Flying, even watching it on my phone, I got kind of that experience of like, oh God, like, am I up really high right now? <laughs> you know, like, a little so bit of vertigo. Outside of, yeah, a little bit of vertigo, even completely outside of non-immersed, um, just with my headphones in on my phone, to small screen. So yeah, I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to play this live. And even with the limitations of the PSVR, um, this is something that looks really worthwhile. Dude, you were on your phone watching this? Yeah, with your computer. You are super fast with those comments on your mobile device. I'm impressed, sir. Oh, the thumbs of fury, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regular Tony Stock hacking away on his mobile. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh we t- when you talk about VR, you talk about things that are concepts and it's funny because this things that are concepts and quote-unquote experiences versus actual games and in some ways this is a step forward into being more of a game than a lot of experiences we had talked about the arkham vr which was probably your yours chris and a lot of people's first vr experience yeah if they own a playstation vr and you know this is much more of a game so that's cool um but and, and like anybody that plays this as their first vr experience is is going to be just blown away um but i've played a ton of vr and so there are some quality of life things that i know developers are fixing and that this game is just you know it's probably been in development for for at least two to three years uh that uh, they weren't able to learn from some of the successes of others and they're they, they are unfortunately the playstation they are dedicated to making it run on a piece of eight-year-old technology now i have a ps4 pro but they've got to make sure it runs on, a, on an original playstation which is eight-year-old uh consumer grade gaming hardware and you feel that real hard when you're playing this game and the biggest thing is the loading screens. I, I had said about a minute into the stream, oh, this is this is where this game is going to suck ass in a lot of regards. I mean, right. there's a moment where you're flying down and you're gearing up midair in the Iron Man suit. And it's I like, was so frustrated for you. And then and, it's just like loading screen. Yeah, you, you're in it and you're like, fuck, I'm Iron Man, it's awesome. And then it's just like loading screen. For those of you who can't, you're literally facing upward, flying towards the ground, trying to get your, your suit your on. Your gear it's, on, yeah. 
it's insane. There's and enemies yeah. flying by. The Ghost clouds actually look great. Screen. And actually, it's like AAA level animations and all that. And then it, and it grinds to a halt. And that, that happens a lot. And it doesn't help that um, I had explained on the stream that, you know, a lot of VR games are taking the fact that you're in an immersive environment and it's telling environmental storytelling, something that a non-VR game like Last of Us 2 does really well, where you can just walk into a room and kind of, you're, you're experiencing the story just by them knowing where you're going to be, what kind of things you're going to see in the story they're wanting to tell, right? Uh, this game does none of that. You sit and then holograms tell you a story and it's very boring. And it's it would be very cool if it's your first VR thing. And you're like, oh my God, the person's there and I can see him and move around him and he's talking to me. Like that would be cool. But I've just played a lot of other VR that that takes advantage of the platform and tells a story a lot cooler than I'm sitting in a movie that's playing around me, yeah. right? So it fails. There was, there was a great moment. Sorry to interrupt, but you just reminded me. There was a great moment where you saw like a bowl of fruit and you picked up the fruit and the game actually allowed you to eat it. So like, oh, that yeah. was fun. Yeah, that would yeah. be one of those experiences I think you're talking about. Like someone who's playing this for the first time is like, can I? Can I pick up the apple? What happens if I like bring it up? Oh my God, Tony Stark is eating the apple. This is the, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in Stark Mansion. You know, like that, that would be like a fun experience for them, I guess, but. The scene where you're trying to save the plane as it's going down, that felt like one of the most immersive and badass moments of, of that first session for me. Yeah. I, I really felt like it, it felt cinematic, even though you were clearly having to do a lot. No, I'm glad you bring that up. And Chris, you bring up a great point. It kind of uh, goes into the point that I was going to say, which is, you know, that moment with the fruit, VR designers are making a way to have those kind of interactions help tell the story. And that part of the fruit is just like, it's VR, you can eat fruit in VR, and you can play <laughs> basketball, and you can do pull-ups, and you can do, you know, you're in Tony's mansion, which looks gorgeous, by the way. Like, you know, part of the reason I think the loading screens take such a big dump is because it loads in these pretty rich environments, some of the best environments I've seen in PlayStation VR, and specifically of Tony's Mansion. And it's very cool, but the interactivity is nothing more than kind of a gimmick, which is fun if it's your first time. Right. But if you've played things like, you know, years ago, four years ago, three years ago, we got, we got, um, uh, we got uh, work simulator, right? Or job simulator, excuse me. And that's kind of that, like that, that whole game is just about like, oh, there's a toaster and I, I can get a bagel and put it in the toaster. Oh, I can put my hand in the toaster and it burns my hand and like all these cool VR things. But the, really the next level is like, what? okay, we're using these techniques. We, we now see that the train is coming at the screen and audiences are like, oh my God, it looks just like a real train. You know, and you're taking those elements and you're learning how to actually tell a narrative. And this movie does too much of the whole, like, isn't it cool that there's a train on screen um, kind of effects, which can be effective. It's your first time, but I've played a lot of VR and it just it's it's already over tread territory. And it's OK to have those things. Interactivity is fun. But when when your cutscene is literally blinking in and out and I'm just watching a, a pretty subpar kind of comic book story people talking at me it's just not it's not engaging right um it's just not fun so all that to say um when it finally loads when you're done with the boring cutscenes, when you're kind of okay with the jank you get into the iron man suit and uh guys vr is awesome as fuck and it was so cool <laughs> to be iron man you literally put your hands down and you you shoot up like uh, so putting your hands down there's a button on the move controllers to do just the propulsion of like the jets and um yeah to go forward you put your hands behind your back and then to shoot a repulsor blast you actually can like if you want to do that cool like bob and weave thing you guide with one hand put your other hand forward um and upright it will be your standard repulsor like 
like little beam and then if you flick your wrist down it like opens up missiles or whatever custom item you have so you can fly through stabilize yourself someone's coming put your hands up and jet in the direction that your hands are at so like oh someone's coming at you and you want to move to the right uh you know between a crevice you can put your hands up uh kind of facing the left of you and then shoot your uh like uh jets and then just dip like real quick and and bob and weave and it's, it's kind of one of those easy to pick up, hard to master things. And when that stuff is working, it's really cool. The move controllers are okay for Iron Man. It just sucks because like once you get to the ground, like if there's an objective on the ground, you, you hit the ground and then you have to like rise up and then go to the ground and then rise up. And like because there's no analog sticks, it's like I kind of want to be like, you know, bobbing and even shooting. Oh, there's something on the ground. I want to hit the ground and be able to move and like run and and then yeah, and right. then jump up and, and feel that and really there's a little bit of mechanics there that I knew would be kind of constrained by the the hardware of the move controller. That being said, it tracks pretty well. Uh, the gameplay is 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 pretty fun. You're only fighting these drone things, so it, there there's so much of like man, I can't wait till this can be where Spider Man for PS4 is, but in VR for oh Iron Man. My, so yes. it's not that. So to be very clear, and the most important thing we can say is it is it is very much not that, but it is a good peak at what a triple a superhero title could be and how it can be immersed like having like your hud it works so well and you don't really get nauseated because you have the hud with all your iron man information on it and it really whenever vr games do that it grounds you because you feel like you're in a in a ship moving rather than your your body itself uh so uh, you know when the game finally loads uh, it's cool the missions can be a little repetitive but but there's enough there that i'm really happy i played it it is just like to gear up this game from a cold start, first of all, on a suspended start where like you played the game, you put it in background and then you come back to it. I haven't got it to relaunch in a suspended start and maybe I'm not waiting long enough, but a cold start of this game takes you, I clocked it, nine minutes to actually start playing the game. You you launch it and, and the That's worst insane. thing about, you know, VR has a lot of uh, upsides. One of the downsides is blank loading screens and blank screens are, are mm-hmm. f- a fundamentally so much worse. If you're loading up GTA and you got to wait like five minutes for the game to load and then it's that one big load, you can pull out your phone, you can watch some TV, you can do whatever. You can go make some food, grab a snack, make a drink, whatever. In VR, I'm sitting here like a dickhead with my fucking <laughs> stupid helmet on. It's already kind of like an embarrassing experience to do around my girlfriend and just sit here and look at a blank screen that actually kind of makes you go cross like if you're looking at a blank vr screen in the headset your eyes are like what the fuck dude and it's like it doesn't feel great it's a very uncomfortable thing Uh, so yeah a lot of jank to work out and you you guys saw some of it if you if you want to see my full playthrough um i have a i have a we have the full one and a half hour stream that we did it was a little under an hour and a half and then i have a cut down 10 minute kind of like just jump in and see the, the the big highlights of the playthrough um that's available on our youtube page that, that that you can see um if you already have a psvr you're gonna buy this game whatever if you um are thinking about buying a ps4 with this game man not a game has made me want a ps5 so bad just to get rid of them fucking loading screens because that is like the pro and i i think i had said it in the stream it was like "Ooh, i want an ssd in this bitch Ooh, i want an ssd right now because yeah this is horrible so I'm sure they, they uh, Sony invested a lot. Um, Camouflage, the studio that put into it, clearly a lot of work made into making this game functional. Um, I can't see a world where it does not run on a PS5. So hold your horses if you haven't invested in the hardware. Wait for the Gen 2. I'm sure they'll recycle this title in a, a much more digestible, playable way. And maybe it'll, it'll even be cheaper. Cool. That's Iron Man for PSVR. Real quick, HBO Max has a couple films I wanted to check out. I saw Ad. Astra. Now, Brian, I know that you saw this film as well. 
I was a little more high on it than you. Uh, this film is overlong. Um, it feels like it doesn't amount to much. It, it follows. Uh, so the plot is that Brad Pitt is a um, is an astronaut who goes to find his uh, father, uh, who's who's on an abandoned post uh, in the rings of Neptune. Very minor spoilers. You find out kind of the plot within the first like twenty minutes. Um, and his quest is to see if his father is still alive and and make contact with him. And uh, this is a very long movie in which Brad Pitt journeys through the stars. And I'll say it's it is a it is a great mythic tale. It is a modern myth of a man ascending to the stars to find his father. Um, I found a lot enjoyable about this film. It is space photo porn. There's so many beautiful, gorgeous shots of space and and rockets and and planets and stuff and 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 weightless shots of brad pitt waking up hovering in a in a room that's lighting up as like danny villeneuve style like great visuals the story itself has a lot of interesting iconography as well as like symbolism and story points but it does feel by the end of it that it didn't really amount uh to the it didn't make more than the sum of its parts right this is very much like the those parts i mentioned are what's good about it it really never hits the highs of kind of an epic uh, that you'd want from something like this. It, it certainly pales in comparison to something like 20, 2000, a space odyssey and, and others in its medium. Uh, Brian, I, I, I was pretty high on this film. You were a bit negative. Uh, we had a pretty extended long chat offline about it. Um, but we were, nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something that like our talk right now, we're a little long for our, our, our weekly upload. Uh, our talk of this movie was probably the length of, of this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was we meandering. Will, we but, will not put uh, this the, the listeners through that, but just briefly summarize. Yeah. Um, maybe I'd feel different coming back to this movie. Uh, I've talked about it maybe once before uh, when we were still going to theaters. I was doing a week of the movie night. My cousin and my sister and I went and saw this. And I came away thinking it was just a bad movie. Like, we laughed our way through this movie. Like, actual laughing out loud in the theater at times. I'm not going to get into some of the spoilers. Um, Basically, what we came to, um, like, this movie has a bare-bones structure that could be a great movie. And, like you said, it feels anticlimactic. And the bare-bones of this movie are just Apocalypse Now, but... You should just probably watch Apocalypse Now is kind of how it feels to me. But Apocalypse Now is not a perfect movie either. Also over long. Um, But yeah, uh, I just felt ultimately not satisfied. And there was a couple things um, that were, if you weren't sold on them, could seem really silly conceptually. And once one of those things was questioned, I was kind of checked out for the rest of the movie. So um, I'll admit that I agree what you said, the visuals, it's a gorgeous movie. If you love space movies and the, the style of it, there's a lot to enjoy here. And I think the front half of this movie is pretty strong. Um, pretty there's well some paced, stuff that happens yeah. on the moon that, that I thought was all really well done. Um, but yeah, uh, it's if you're into space movies, it's Brad Pitt in a space movie. Uh, you'll find something to like here. Yeah, I, I, Brian, I think you bring up an excellent point. You know, at no point was I fully checked out. I was on board for the movie, and I ultimately found value in what it was trying to say. Um, mm. Without spoilers, it conceptualizes, you know, mankind's search for a greater purpose than, 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 than what we may think is available for us terrestrially or artistically. There is a thing in, 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 in mankind that wants to ascend and transcend our experience. And that can often 
uh, leave us to ignore the things that are right next to us, right? And I, I think that's a beautiful message, and I think the movie does convey that relatively well by the by the credits. However, you bring up a great point. If you check out during this movie, you're not getting back on board. There, there, there's very little that will bring you back <laughs> yeah. to this movie or make you feel fulfilled by the end. There's some movies where it's like, yeah, it's long, but once you, I mean, Godfather, it's like if you're watching The Godfather in 2020, you're a millennial, that could be sure. real rough to get through. But man, once you get to the end, you're like, oh yeah, that's why it's <laughs> one of the most important movies ever, right? Because it really ties it in a bow. No, this movie, if you drop off, you will just be frustrated by the end. So if, I, I recommend jumping into it, especially if you're a fan of Danny Villeneuve stuff and, and you've got a little bit of patience with long drawn out storytelling like jump into it but if you check out yeah you cut yourself off like i i will i will fully admit that it does not really pay itself off the things aesthetically like the things i complain about at the show like we'll talk about in our doctor who episodes about aesthetics and and cgi and like framing shots and telling stories visually this movie gets all oh, that's so right and so i can forgive some other stuff that i know are lackluster in it and i was interested just generally in the execution uh, the technical prowess in this film uh, definitely impressed me greatly. However, yes, the story leaves a lot to be desired. So that's Ad Astra, available now on HBO Max. And finally, uh, I saw Ford v. Ferrari. And uh, I had talked about this as like, man, this seems like a movie I want to watch with my dad. And I feel really bad I didn't watch it with my dad. It made me miss my dad a lot, man. Like Ford v. Ferrari is the story of Ford taking on a Ferrari in the Le Mans 24 racing event in the uh, in the 60s. And boy, like it's not 100% historically accurate, but it is like geared and like works. It's just such a functionally good movie. And it's such a guy movie. And there's a lot of like things that I know are pandering to like my manly sensibilities. And I don't know if that's a great thing, but man, it's nice to eat your own shit sometimes. I, I don't know. Smell your own farts. This is a smell your own farts kind of movie that I will admit to enjoy. I mean, Warm Christian, do you eat your own shit? I no, I do it's smell it. sometimes, Chris. Yeah, I don't on. eat We've my own shit. I'm sorry. Smell your own farts is a much better expression. You're right. Still gross, but not as gross as eating poop. Man, that really warms my blankets. It does. Hey, nothing like a good <laughs> fart to warm the blankets. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like there's so many moments in this movie that I know that are like just designed to make my like competitive guy rah rah American spirit go like hell yeah engines yeah. and cars and innovation and and just and just knowledge and being an expert in your craft like it is just like really satisfying that itch I mean there's so many moments where it, Matt Damon or, or, or uh, Christian Bale just like look at the camera and they're like I guess it's time to go to work you know they never actually say that but that's the context of like so many moments of of this and like these I, you have these big you have uh, uh, Shelby uh, what, what's his what's his full name this is why I'm the, the, the worst host. Uh, I can't remember. The guy from Shelby Cars. And you've got big giants like Henry Ford and uh, the dude behind uh, Ferrari, the Italian dude. I really should have notes pulled up for all this. But you have these like iconic industry legends. And, and they're just saying like badass competitive stuff and calling each other pussies. And, like, and then like race cars. And yeah, but I wish I watched this with my dad. It's so much fun. Um, if anybody was like, it's a little bit misogynistic and panders to like male empowerment and not necessarily misogyny, but it is a very male centric story. So I accept all that. Carol Shelby. Is that the name you're looking for? Yeah, that's Carol it. Shelby. That is correct. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, and Matt you're Damon's welcome. amazing. Christian Bale's amazing. All the you got uh, uh, James Bernthal from from uh, of Daredevil fame and Walking Dead. Uh, he's pretty great in it. Uh, 
stunning amazing like great great performance it it feels like a cheap movie but i love it i love it so it's like a ford car it's like you, you know it looks good on the outside drives nice but maybe like a hundred thousand miles down the road it breaks down and really it's full of emptied planned obsolescence i don't know is that a good analogy that's <laughs> <laughs> what this may be I, I i enjoyed it more than i should uh from like an artistic standpoint but man it's a lot of fun uh i really enjoyed it brian you had a chance to watch this as well yeah, um, I was lucky enough to see this in theaters, and you told me that you did not watch this with headphones, which made no. me so sad because I think the sound in this movie is so much of what draws you in and keeps things so exciting. Um, I'm not a personally a fan of racing, never have been, um, but this type of movie gets me excited about like just being on the ground in those hairpin turns, hearing the the power of these machines and the inherent danger of it all. Um, I I thought there was a lot to like about this movie. I do agree. It is kind of this macho, manly story. You pretty much come to find out if they didn't talk about this year, they never would have had a movie to make <laughs> because uh, Ford doesn't have a great history at Le Mans aside from this single uh, particular point in time. Um, but with that being said, seeing Shelby... Um, kind of scientifically with what they had at the time uh, help the aerodynamics of this car and get this viable even I'm sure it was um, you know sped up for dramatic purposes but I really enjoyed that and it did it does feed this like let's build something and get it done mentality that oh, maybe yeah. in a lot of uh, western men uh, <laughs> we, we relate to yeah exactly and uh, you know again looking into the story it's like it's one of those times where you're like, oh man, you know, that's actually a more interesting part that adds nuance. It's like, I look at all the inaccuracies. And I'm like, oh no, this definitely made the better movie better. Like it's definitely just a better movie. Yep, it's yep. like all the best <laughs> choices. And this is directed by James Mangold of, uh, of Logan. Um, so, I mean, uh, I, I think this is actually, I, I love Logan. Uh, this is a, this is a, a, a refined uh, movie down to every detail. This, this movie is just an excellent, like dad movie. Just go see it with you. If you got a dad uh and you're just slightly into building things or like you know ingenuity like dude it's just slightly though it i mean it it kind of like inspired me like it's i mean so i i say all that stuff about like the western spirit and like my brother's gonna call me a cuck or whatever i don't know he's gonna call me a liberal cuck or something like that but but (laughs) beta male (laughs) beta male all this shit but you know i'm just saying like things that i know about this movie that are directly pandering to uh someone of my stature um, that being said, it has it, it. It really is a great motivation to like achieve your dreams, um, uh, and it's it's really cool. And it keeps the family unit tight. Whereas that Astra is like achieve your dreams, but don't forget you have a family. You know this this kind of still has a lot of moral ethical centricity to to the the family unit and to your responsibilities and stuff. And a lot of what the characters are motivated by are 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 are, are for the the betterment of the community, family, company, all that stuff. So that's Ford v Ferrari. Man, we're, we're, this is a big boy. We got a thick boy here. Um, so we got just a little bit more time for our uh, weekly poll with our community feedback section. Please don't leave your thoughts on hold. Come on down to a weekly poll. Please don't leave your thoughts on hold. Come on down to a weekly poll. 
Welcome I, back to the Christian. Were you going to say something? I was going to say that music was made by me. It's still my favorite. You know, you can check out water.jpg, which is streaming now on all your favorite streaming services. Uh, I'd really appreciate you adding it to your summer chill beats playlist. Uh, that being said, it's not nothing's better than that theme. That's my favorite thing I've ever written. Uh, I've written a lot of music, and that's still my favorite. Uh, Chris, uh, this is your section. I'm going to stop talking and stop plugging my stuff. That's okay. Plug away. Hi, fellow popaholics. That was a that was a plug for Christian's new music. But you know what? We're we're in the weekly poll section, so we're going to talk a little little poll results. Uh, you know, as I <laughs> little, say, every little single poll little poll results. Um, that's what I that's what I call a Saturday afternoon with the old lady. <laughs> you ready oh for some God. little? Oh, I can't even. I can't even commit to this bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alrighty, so last week on Popaholics, we watched uh, The Waters of Mars, our first David Tennant episode for our Doctor Who month. Uh, and, you know, prior to that, we had watched Genesis, Genesis of the Daleks with Tom Baker. And, you know, just from what I've experienced with Doctor Who, talking to who, different Whovians and, and such, uh, Tom Baker and David Tennant seem to be some, some of the two most popular Doctors, you know, Tom Baker had the longest Doctor Who run ever in the 70s. Um, he's actually played Doctor Who the longest out of anybody else. Oh, I didn't so realize that. to a lot of people who watched classic Doctor Who, Tom Baker is their doctor. Um, but for a lot of people that like modern Doctor Who, uh, David Tennant is their doctor. They're, he's very, very popular. So for this week's poll or sorry, last week's poll, we asked which actor did you prefer playing the doctor tom baker or david tennant and i'm actually kind of shocked i I thought tom baker was going to get a little more love but david tennant came out on top with 80 percent of the people who participated saying that they preferred david tennant uh and i'm definitely in the david tennant boat Uh, i think tom baker is an excellent doctor but as i mentioned in last week's episode uh, David Tennant was my first doctor, so he's always going to hold a special place in my heart. Guys, how do you feel about these poll results? He's the doctor victorious, Chris. It was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is very true. In my very limited experience, I can't help but side with the, the Tennant stands here. Um, he, and this week has only confirmed that more fully, but uh, even though this is not a particularly Tennant-centric episode this week, um, yeah, it's it's hard to argue, and I imagine our listenership probably largely wasn't uh, watching Who in the seventies. So we yeah, might, we yeah, might I, skew I a little younger so. than that. But um, hey, all our all our older listeners, what's up? We appreciate you. Uh, you know, uh, Tom Baker's uh, probably the doctor. Like in asking this question, it's like who's your favorite? Like David Tennant, obviously. And the two that I've seen, like David Tennant's just. A lot more of that big dick energy that I really look for in uh, in my Doctor Who, but uh, but Tom Baker is because doc- when I think Doctor Who, I think big, I think big dick energy. <laughs> Christian, you're gonna be, you might be a little upset with um the the newest Doctor. Um. <laughs> hey, listen, female Doctor are gonna have BDE too, man, and it's not exclusive hey, to enough, the, to the male uh, gender. Uh, you know, uh. I, if if I were in like a time travely uh, timey wimey thing uh, where things were uh, a, a muck, I would prefer that Tom Baker shows up. Uh, I would prefer he seems like more even keeled. 
and uh, more, <laughs> and more experienced and more responsible doctor from the little that I've seen. Uh, so I prefer the, the old Tom Baker to show up at my uh, timey wimey uh, predicament. Uh, but David wibbly Tennant, wobbly timey right? wimey. I'm certainly if I see David Tennant, I'm like strap in. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm probably going to turn into a pig by the end of this episode, and we'll see what happens. Uh, so I chose David Tennant. Makes sense. He's the favorite doctor. Who doesn't love a little Tennant? I don't even like Doctor Who, and I like David Tennant, so I should, I should tell you everything. If you'd like to participate in our weekly poll, please follow us on Twitter. We are at Popoholics, okay? That's where we're at. Find us there on the tweets, on the Tweetsville. Facebook, search for at Popaholics. Email us your feedback, questions, concerns, poll ideas, news, uh, things you want to hear from on the show, just thoughts and opinions. You want to tell Chris how wrong he is about Fire Saga being the best movie of 2020 and how what, a, what an or, ansonine dumb opinion that is. Email us Or if you want to tell Christian how wrong he is, I have to say, fellow Popolics, I was very yeah. disappointed that we didn't receive any emails oh, we saying received how wrong tons. Christian no, Chris, was. Chris, you can't, you can't say that. We received tons of emails from both sides. We just, we're, we're always getting emails <laughs> in here, uh, but we always welcome more. Just pile them on. Uh, we got so many, we can't even get through them all. Yeah, this week, it was only 75% pimple popping stuff. So keep them coming, <laughs> listeners. Like we're, yes. trying to, we're trying to lower that percentage every week. We will have a link to our YouTube page you can watch my let's play uh because uh, it is impossible to actually find our channel through just the the desert uh of 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 brutal pus pop, brutal pus if you said we made a, such a huge mistake with the name of the show um popoholics though we're uh we're we got a problem with pop culture that's what we were going for got a real problem we got to shake uh anyway so that is uh that is the that is the weekly poll that is the weekly upload um guys we've come to the end of the show chris what do we got coming up on our main topic in just a couple days on this wednesday's main episode christian we are going to be watching blink it's going to be fantastic blink maybe a little spooky a little spooky uh very excited uh to hear that conversation it has yet to occur in this reality but you know time it's a weird thing it's a fickle thing Boys, thank you so much for coming together to get this episode out. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you have a PSVR headset, play some Iron Man VR, but don't uh, invest in it. Um, I don't know why that's the takeaway for the whole show, but Eurovision Song Contest 2020. <laughs> uh, also, don't harass people on Twitter. That'll be it for us. See you on the main episode. Bye. Pop. 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 Pop.